pastor said. And by the way, let me stop and say this to you, uh, Brother Shook. Thank you so very much again in the Bailey's Grove Baptist Church for your kindness to us and even having us come and to be a part of this service. This is a rare occasion uh, for me to ever miss our, my pulpit and to miss our church service. And uh, in a place that I'd much rather be than any other place in the world, of course, is back at the Hillside Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee today. And, uh, and this almost didn't happen. As a matter of fact, uh, three weeks ago yesterday, Heather got out of the hospital and uh, she's had multiple problems again uh, throughout uh, the, the last few months. And uh, since the month of April, she literally has had eight different uh, surgeries. She's had several emergency surgeries. Never had had a, a surgery on a sat- late Saturday night or an early Sunday morning before. And uh, but she's had multiple multiple surgeries. Um, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. But uh, we had multiple things going on. Uh, we just had our fourth annual special needs family conference. A uh, pretty special event that we have at our church. We began this four years ago, and uh, we had the fourth one. We had the largest number of special needs families that attended uh, from many different locations and places, many different states, and we were blessed to be able to host them. It's a free event, and uh, all we do is love on them, remind them that Christ is our answer, and remind them again to stay locked into their local New Testament church, and um, we believe with all of our heart that the greatest support group the greatest support group that anybody could ever be a part of is to be in a part of a, uh, of a Sunday school class and to be a part of uh, your Sunday morning service. Dr. Lee Robertson used to say it takes three to thrive. And he said Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, I think he had it right. And I still believe that very thing. And that's what uh, we've taught and preached all throughout the years. And, um, and so we've used, again, that opportunity to hammer home the local New Testament church and their local pastor those that come in to be with us. So we just had that last uh, last Saturday, just a week ago, and uh, after and the Lord worked a miracle for us to be able to accomplish that and get it all accomplished and done. And then we had our Kids for Christ crusade, something similar to a vacation Bible school uh, this past week. We praise God again for the different people that have been saved and trusted Christ as Savior over the last uh, few weeks as well as the last few months. Again, Born, you wouldn't believe this, folks, I was born in 1992. And, uh, okay, maybe not 1992. I was born in 1962 um, in, uh, in a little uh, place or a larger place now outside of Atlanta, Marietta, Georgia. And, uh, and so I grew up uh, down south and in the Atlanta area. And my little wife and I are, are high school sweethearts. We first met each other, actually first when I was uh, playing baseball uh, as a seventh grade boy, and her father was my assistant baseball coach, and, uh, and the only thing that I recognized about uh, Mrs. Cape, who was, at the time was Wanda Sue Boggs, was the bat girl that kept getting in the way. And uh, she has freckled face, she has pigtailed, and and literally, I'm not kidding you, she was the gal that would run again. She was told to go get the bats after someone hit a, hit a run and, and, uh, or struck out, whatever the case was, and she'd run, get the bats, and bring them back and put them back into the, the right position. And uh, I remember one particular time I played tug of war with her. She didn't want me to have the bat before it got put back into its place. And so that was really my introduction to my wife, uh, or would be my wife of 40 years uh, here, here the 1st of September. 
But God has been very, very good to us. Uh, was, as a young man, I uh, trusted Christ as Savior at a little small church, Pine Grove Baptist Church in Powder Springs, Georgia. My pastor, just a country preacher, but what a preacher, uh, Pastor J.B. Jordan, Brother J.B. Jordan. My father got saved at a revival meeting, took our church or our family to uh, the church that he had um, uh, pastored. And uh, through that, my older brother would get saved. And through that, I likewise would accept Christ as my Savior as well. Thankful again for the upbringing, the family altar that my family had uh, when I was just a, a little child. However, there were some problems that arose in the church. And by the way, I remind you that anytime you're trying to do what, what's right, the devil certainly is not going to sit and take it easy. He's going to try to stir up some troubles and problems. And those of you that are living for God know that be the case. And that happened again in our home and happened, of course, in our church as well. And, and so there were some problems that arose. There were some accusations that were made. And most of those accusations were unfounded or untrue. But my family decided, I'm just a little bitty fellow, my family decided that they would attend another church. Began to go across town, and as they did so, we attended that church for a little while. Soon, our, we began to miss some services. Began to miss a Wednesday night service because it was more difficult to get there because it was so far to go. Then we began to miss a Sunday night service, then a Sunday morning service, and then soon our family was out of church. My mother and father, my dad had been the music director. Both of my parents were Sunday school teachers of the local church that we're involved in. And, uh, but my mother and father would get a divorce, and our family would split and go different directions. I was 12 years of age at the time. Again, multiple things happened and took place in my life at the time. You see, my best friend of, uh, of my childhood uh, was my cousin, and we were so very close to each other. We did a lot of different things together. His name was Gene. And uh, Gene, uh, the week prior to his passing away, uh, Gene and his father, my Uncle Wayne, and, and my dad and my older brother went fishing together. We went to a lake that my, my uncle said, it's a really good lake. It will be very profitable. Nobody ever uses it. Well, folks, after about three or four hours there, we understood why nobody used it because it had all been fished out. There was nothing in the, the little pond or the little lake. My uncle said, well, there's a spillway just over this little embankment. Let's go over there and drop a couple of lines. We did that. We dropped our line. And sure enough, we pulled out the biggest carp you've ever seen in your life. When that happened and took place, uh, we were pretty excited about it. But I got excited and I slipped down and I actually went underwater. It was very deep, that spillway was. And I remember trying my best to claw my way out of that hill or out of the water and, and grasping to the bank. And when I did so, I looked and I could see my cousin on the side of the hill just laughing his head off at me and uh, because I had fallen into the water. Little did I, I told him, I'm going to get you. I'll get you back. I'll get you back. Little did I know a week later, his family would go to a church camp and there at the church camp, my cousin would be struck by lightning and Gene would be taken from this life and enter into heaven. Gene had only been saved a year, but Gene's life had become a great testimony to me at a very critical time in my life. It wasn't just Gene and his family becoming a, a great testimony to me, but it was his mother and father. It was my aunt and uncle. You see, yes, they went through great sorrow. And yes, they went through great trial and great struggles, 
But we saw my, my little wife and I a little later on. We see again a man and a wife who my uncle would become a pastor serving God faithfully though they carried a great burden in their heart not to fully understanding why the Lord would take their son. God would use that to in, in work into my heart about serving the Lord full time. I'm sure grateful and thankful that many years later I would do that very thing as I surrendered to the call of God upon my life. I'd like for you to take your Bible tonight. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts. You said, preacher, are you ever going to the Bible tonight? Well, yes, I am. And we're going to use a few places of Scripture tonight. But I want you to notice with me in Acts chapter number 14. Acts chapter number 14. Read just a few passages of Scripture. Acts chapter 14, and we'll pick up in verse number 19. Acts chapter 14 and verse number 19. And if you follow along with me uh, today, I'll, uh, tonight, I'll read these verses and, and uh, then we'll get on into the message. In verse 19 of Acts 14, the Bible says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. My dear friend, again, I want you to see this amazing passage of Scripture, this great servant of the Lord who had been used in so many different ways. The Bible tells us that he had been uh, taken outside the city in stone, which many believe that the Apostle Paul actually died. And uh, many would associate that time when the Apostle Paul said, whether out of the body or in the body, I cannot tell. He was called up to the third heaven. And again, many believe that this was that time, that time frame that uh, must have happened when the Apostle Paul was being stoned. Some supposed, as the scripture says, to be dead. Others thinking he was dead. However, the scripture says that as the disciples stood around, that Paul stood up. He rose up. I mean, battered and bruised and beaten and, and he rose up. And the Bible tells us that he rose up from there and then they went to the next city. And the next day, the Bible says, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And he went and preached the gospel to that city the next day. And that, and taught to many. They returned again to Lystra, to Iconium and Antioch. And this is what they were doing. No matter the battles, no matter the struggles, no matter the problems, no matter the stoning to death, the Bible says they confirmed the souls of the disciples and they exhorted them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Now tonight, folks, we know that the word tribulation is used in a couple of different ways in Scripture. Sometimes when the word tribulation is used, it has to do with trials or testing. Other times it has to do with the tribulation of, of our testing when it comes to a person who is tempted into sin and wrong. 
But my dear friend, I'd have you to know that I believe firmly that it has to do with the matter of testings or uh, uh, trying to stop us or to hinder us from advancing and going forward. That if we're going to do what is right, we ought to just go ahead and nail it down and expect, again, problems and difficulties are going to come. You know, there are great men as well as great women that have lived throughout the years that have gone through great trial. I think about not too far from here, um, uh, just a a few hundred miles away, not too far, uh, again, about what Dr. Harold Seitler went through. Uh, When a drunk driver had hit, again, his wife that was traveling in a car and his little baby girl, his girl passed away and died, and she was laid up in the hospital. Uh, I remember reading about Dr. Seitler, what Dr. Seitler said that he considered doing. A bitterness, again, began to creep in his heart, but yet he gave it to God, and he understood that God had a plan. I think again about Dr. Lee Robertson, who pastored that great church there, Highland Park Baptist Church, that once was, it is no longer, and neither is there a Tennessee Temple, neither is there Tennessee Temple schools, and there's actually nothing that's there anymore in Chattanooga, Tennessee, that Dr. Robertson had started. But Dr. Robertson, with a great, great heavy burden, finding out that his little baby Joy had passed away and uh, went to be with the Lord. Many others as well. Um, I think about a man by the name of Monroe Parker, who had, I think, several wives that had passed away. And, uh, and again, not too far from this location as well. And many, many other people that had gone through a great trial. You know, George Mueller said this, to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. He said, I have learned my faith by standing firm and amid severe testings. I think it was Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, the true test of character is what it takes to stop you. What it takes to stop you. C.H. Spurgeon said this, trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we are made out of. That's what trials do. John Newton said, trials are medicines which our gracious and wise physician, that is the great physician, prescribes because we need them. And he proportions the frequency and the weight of them to what the case requires. That's what John Newton had to say. Hudson Taylor said, All our difficulties are only platforms for the manifestations of his grace, power, and love. Brother Howell said this, I never had a trial I wanted to have. But I never had a trial I wasn't glad I had because I learned so much that God had planned for me to learn. Adoniram Judson said, If I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. My dear friend, I want you to know that uh, that individuals and people in times past as well as today still uh, go through difficulties in times. But God has a reason. God has a plan. That beautiful song that you sang and the choir sang and Brother Bushy um, uh, helped to lead and, and to sing. I know I messed his name up. And, uh, and, and by the way, everybody knows this. But where I'm from, nobody knows who he is. Everybody knows Katie Bell. Katie Bell. And, uh, and, 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 uh, but anyway, and, uh, but what a wonderful job. But is that not what Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, I believe, says? Uh, that to the trials of this, uh, of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
the sufferings of this present time. My dear friend, Brother Howes also said, never despair, but if you do, work on and despair. Dr. Lee Robertson said, the greatest faith is born in the hour of despair. When we can see no hope and no way out, then faith rises and brings the victory. I love again hearing in 1983, the very first um, uh, conference, the Sword of the Lord conference that we went to, Dr. Curtis Hudson said, Did it ever occur to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? There's not one time that God has never not known what was going to take place and happen. He knew what was going to come into your life. He knew what was going to come into our life as well. My dear friend... It was on July the 14th in 1994. We'd had a wonderful day out soul winning. Folks had gotten saved on that Saturday in Rome, Georgia. I was just a young preacher, still a young preacher. And, uh, and so years ago, we had seen wonderful things take place and happen. We had a nursing home ministry, too, that afternoon. Our girls were very young and very small, and they went to sing, and we, I preached, and uh, we saw some great things happen. Then we made a bunch of callback visits, and then... Of all things, on a Saturday night, uh, we had, again, two families come to our house to have dinner with us. This is Saturday night before Sunday. And uh, so two families coming, and one family got lost, didn't know where we lived out in the country, and lived in Silver Creek, Georgia at the time. And, and so we, we said to, they called us, said, we can't find your house. We said, well, you keep passing us. You keep passing us. We said, we'll send the girls to the end of the driveway, a little gravel driveway, and where they did, uh, Heather went down and, and uh, to be able to wave again for that family that they could come on. And, and our daughter, Jenna, is our middle daughter. We have three beautiful daughters, and thank the Lord for each one. And there's Heather, who's 37, Jenna, who is 30, will be 35, and here in just a few weeks. And then there's Hannah, um, who is 30. One, and he's 31 years of age. We also have three beautiful grandkids and one little girl on the way, which we're pretty excited about that. But, uh, but Jenna was uh, stepping off the back porch of the little house that we own. And, uh, and the, there was a lady that was already there. Her and her family were there, and she was holding on to Jenna's hands. And, uh, and the lady um, did not realize that Jenna was going to jump off about two steps to go. And she jumped. And when she jumped flat-footed, uh, the woman that she was holding hands to lost her balance and fell on top of our middle daughter. Jenna's leg was broke. And uh, so my wife called and she said, honey, come quickly. And I picked up Jenna and I took her into the living room, began to check her out, began to do some uh, evaluation there to find out if surely uh, her leg was broken. As I'm checking her out and trying to calm her down, my wife then begins to call out for me. She said, honey, come quickly. She said, now there's something wrong with Heather. When I came, I called for the lady that had fallen on top of Jenna and I said, would you sit with Jenna for a moment and and I ran into the living room or into the kitchen at about that time, just enough time to be able to catch Heather as she began to fall. Her head was turned to the left, I believe it was, and locked in. And her mother said, I could hear her repeating over and over, Heather, All right, can you hear Mama? Mama, I do hear you. And where's, where's Mom at? Well, you're over here. And she's pointing to the other part of the room. I had seen, and my wife had when we were uh, just kids in school, and we'd seen different people have seizures before, of course, but never with our own child. Heather went into her first tonic-clonic grandma generalized seizure. She locked in. Over the next 30 minutes, she was in a seizure. We called, we called 911. 
They sent, again, a fire truck out there, a volunteer uh, fire truck out there into that area. They would also call, um, again, for backup. They called two ambulances, and one ambulance I rode with, with my daughter, Jenna, who broke her leg, and Heather went the other with my wife. Halfway to the hospital, Jenna or Heather would come out of the seizure. We got to the hospital. Again, the doctors uh, would rule out and say Heather had a seizure and would not put her on any kind of a seizure medication at all. They didn't see what had happened uh, to her. It was just an explanation on our part as well as the EMTs. And so as we were there, um, I had a police officer walk into the room where I was standing with Jenna. And he said, sir, can I talk to you? And I said, yes, sir, you can. And I said, how can I help you? He said, would you please step out here? I stepped outside uh, where the ambulances would come in. And, and he said, sir, I want you to know. He said, one of the firemen believed that this was too coincidental for two of your children to be injured on the same night in such an unusual manner. And, uh, and I said, sir, I said, uh, we had families that were there. He said, I just want you to know. He said, we've been interviewing your children while we've had the doctors talk to you and your wife in a separate room. He said, we want you to know everything's okay. He said, uh, we're dropping any type of a further investigation. But uh, you'd have to say it seems to be way too coincidental. And sure enough, there were witnesses and nothing had happened. It was just the fact that God permitted something to happen to our life that would literally change our life over the last 28 years. You see, God knew that when that little lady and I would come together as a little, again, sweethearts in high school, and then on our honeymoon, on our honeymoon, we'd come to a place of a near-drowning experience. Um, we almost drowned. And without the help of someone else assisting us and helping us, we certainly would have drowned. We were able to make it again back to our hotel room. And there upon our hands and knees, we said to the Lord, Lord, we surrender to do whatever it is that you desire in our life. We had no idea then all the plans that God would have. Just like you in many situations, there are things about your life that you had no idea that this particular thing that's taken place and happened in your life in the last year or the last few years would ever happen in your life. Maybe the loss of a husband. Maybe the loss of a wife. Maybe the loss of a child. Maybe the loss, again, of a, uh, of a dear friend. Maybe again, you going through uh, cancer treatments and problems, as your preacher mentioned this morning, of others that you're praying for and, uh, and people that you love and care about. Some things that you never would ever think would ever happen to you and to your family. And again, my little wife and I, when we surrendered to do whatever God desired for us to do, we would make our way back from our honeymoon. We remembered again that the church, the Independent Baptist Church we were involved in, was going to have a youth rally. And at that youth rally, again, the preacher had asked for assistance and helpers. So my little wife and I, we came back as fast as we could. We thought we were just going to serve hamburgers and hot dogs and drinks and Cokes and chips, but... Uh, that was a lot more than what God desired for us to do. You see, they had shown, again, the film at that youth rally of the burning hell. They had a young preacher stand up and preach right after that. And for the next 30 minutes, he preached his heart out. Young people began to come forward during the invitation time. Too many for the altar workers that were present. He looked my direction and he pointed at me and he said, Are you saved? I looked behind me. And I looked to see if he's pointing at the other guy. 
And, uh, and, and I said, him? And he said, no, you. And, uh, and I said, yes, sir, I am. I've been born again. And he said, come down here and deal with this young man. I'd never done anything like that before in my life. He then looked at my new bride of just a week in the same place that we'd got married at and said, are you saved, young lady? And, and she said, yes. She said, he said, come down here and deal with this young lady. And my dear friend, I'll tell you what, uh, we both knelt beside uh, two young people and, and uh, we got, I got down to where that young man was and and I said buddy I said I don't really know exactly everything to tell you I could just tell you what happened to me when I was a little bitty fella and I trusted Jesus as my personal savior and he said sir and he was just a weeping about nine years old and he said sir I already know what to do and I said well get with it man get with it and do it right now I'll tell you what, he called out upon the Lord and, uh, and, and he asked Christ into his life. And I'll tell you something it did in my heart uh, that uh, it'll do for every single person that's never led anybody to Christ or helped to lead somebody to Christ. Uh, fireworks of your soul will go go out this morning when that choir sang that song we shall see Jesus and I guarantee you there's several of us sitting here in this auditorium this morning just like I was my feet were jumping up and down my hands are going up and I want to stand up and say whoa glory and aren't you glad because of what Christ did for you 2,000 years ago aren't you glad for because of the grace that he gives you every single day Little did I know that the winning of souls then, the first week after our marriage, would be used in other places. I've gone on mission trips, as your pastor has, and you, dear people, have, and you've served on the mission field. I thank God for every precious soul that's around the world that Christ died for. But then there's another area of which, again, needs to be reached. Our daughter, Brother Clarence Moore, was preaching in our church in Rome, Georgia. Heather went forward at the invitation time and she knelt and she surrendered to be a missionary and serve God in full-time service. God was working in her heart then and still works in her heart today. Though she's never been again and served in a foreign or on a foreign soil, she's been in an unreached mission field. And that mission field is among, again, not just the hurting, but also those who care for the hurting. You see, there's been a lot of people that have accepted Christ as Savior throughout the years. There's been doctors, again, that Heather's helped to lead to Christ, and nurses that my wife has led to the Lord, and therapists that have gotten saved as well throughout the years. People that we would not have ever met had we not gone through the struggles and problems that Heather had gone through. Again, in 1994, after Heather had that first seizure, we would later find her about to six weeks later in one of the hospital, I'm sorry, in her bedroom. I was up late at night and I was studying. My wife was in bed and, and, uh, and I was up late and I was writing out some things for an upcoming Sunday school campaign for the fall and writing some ideas down and and uh, so, but as I was doing so, sitting there in the recliner, I could hear what sounded like somebody breaking in and entering into our home. And I began to get up and walk through the house. I went to where the two youngest girls were. They had bunk beds and checked their room. Everything was fine. I turned back to Heather's room, and there she was again, her bed up against the wall and in a full tonic-clonic seizure. We immediately called 911. They came. She went to the tonic-clonic seizure for five minutes for 10 minutes, for 15. About that time night, the, the EMS came and they said, we're going to wait a little bit longer to see if she comes out. And we said, sir, she's been in this now 15 minutes. 
They waited about two or three more minutes. They said, we better get her there. They couldn't get her to come out of the seizure. And, uh, and then from 20 minutes to 25 minutes to 30, to 35, to 40, to 45. And over the next six hours, Heather would be in a full tonic-clonic seizure. Next six hours. I saw them take that little nine-year-old framed body of a little girl a very large man and uh, several nurses and male nurses that were taking her little body and bending it to do lumbar punctures and to try to assist her and help her as she was still seizing the whole time, trying to figure out what was going on. You see, those were just the beginning days. We were in and out of the hospital in 1994. In 1995, while Heather was in the hospital, again, a plastic surgeon came by and was able to tell us again the first, again, rare disease that Heather has, and that's Perry Romberg. And he was able to diagnose her with that. And, and then about uh, just a few weeks later, Heather's seizures continued to get worse and worse and worse. We tried everything. In 1996, on our daughter, youngest daughter's birthday, Heather went into the hospital that January. From January all the way through the month of May, she had been in the hospital. Then some of the month of June, and then two weeks later that year, she was in the hospital the full time again uh, at, at Emory University Children's Health Care of Atlanta. They couldn't stop her seizures. She went into the hospital having 75 seizures, tonic-clonic seizures a day. They then would record her of having over 200 seizures a day. They put her, after all of that time, they put her into a pentabarb coma, hoping again that that would stop and relax again those brain um, waves and, and, uh, and the electrical currents that were taking place and happening. But as soon as they began to come off the medication, she immediately went into seizures again. At that particular time, they'd already made the decision that Heather is going to have a stroke. And, and not only would she have a stroke, but she's real close to passing away and dying. We need to do surgery. We'd like to wait, but we need to do surgery. We contemplated about it and prayed much over it and fasted over it. And many, many people were praying. And finally, we consented in 1996 for them to go in and to remove, again, sections of the left frontal lobe, sections of the left temporal lobe area. They were so very concerned because her speech was on the left side of her brain in 1996. As a matter of fact, when Heather came out of, uh, of, the, um, out of surgery, uh, immediately going into pediatric intensive care, again, uh, they, they stopped her, her stretcher and, and uh, just where we were in the waiting area, and they said, would you like to see Heather? And we said, yes, if we can, before they take her into pediatric intensive care. And whenever we, we went to her, and I, I looked over at her, and her eyes were closed, and, and I said, Boo, I love you. And she opened her eyes up, and she said, I love you too, Dad. My wife and I liked to lost it because the doctors felt at that time that they would take and remove her speech. They didn't think that she'd ever be able to talk again because it was so close to where her speech was at. There's a lot of young people today that are mute and adults that are mute today because they had a similar type of surgery and, uh, and they got real close to again to where the, the speech was at. That was in 96. Heather did pretty good as about two months later she had the seizures begin to come out. You see, Rasmussen's disease is now what should be diagnosed with. Rasmussen, it is a very rare disease of one out of every 10 million people. And there is no cure for it. No cure. 
Heather went from that particular time frame to then be having her first device, a vagal nerve stimulator, implanted to try to help control the seizures. Very similar to a pacemaker about the same size. There's one on the table in the back. And Heather would have every two years, they're supposed to last 12 to 15 years, but because her settings were so high, she would burn those out in every year and a half to two years. So she had to have nine of those put in. They took out the last one just a few months ago, just a couple of months ago, actually, honey. And, uh, and, but God has been so good all throughout these many, many years. I'll never forget in 1997, I was sitting in a service and a preacher was preaching. That preacher who I was working for at the time had lost his daughter in a car accident. It's pretty tragic. I was a youth pastor at the church and the pastor stood and he preached and he preached about a trials of a season and then he preached about trials of a lifetime. When he preached about trials of a lifetime, this again is 1997, he then looked toward our direction. I'd normally sat on the platform and then when it's time for the preacher to preach, the men on the platform would go sit with their family. So I went to go sit with our family and we're sitting over here in this section and the preacher, when he said, he said, trials of a lifetime, he looked and pointed at our family and he said, such is the capes. Now, when he said that, to be honest with you, in my heart, boy, I, I got a little upset. And I was thinking in my heart, there's no way that this is going to be for a lifetime. She's had her problems for the last two and a half years, the whole time we've been in the ministry. But this is not going to be for a lifetime. We believe that God can heal. We believe that God can make her whole today. And uh, if anybody believes it, we believe it firmly. And that God, surely it wouldn't be for a lifetime. But what the preacher preached and said was true. It has been for a lifetime. What happened that day... And after that day in 1997 was the marvelous grace of God that was continually extended to us over and over and over again. We have seen again God work in a marvelous way and a tremendous way. My dear friend, again, I learned something years ago and you've heard it too, possibly millions of times. But if God ever brings you to something, he certainly will bring you through something. And so if God allows or permits something to happen into your life, he certainly will give you the grace to sustain you and to help you. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to depend upon him. That song that we sang just a few moments ago about I can trust him is, is real and is true and we can depend upon him and he wants us to depend upon him because my dear friend as the preacher said this morning he's never one time ever failed and he never ever will fail he is faithful and he truly is full of faith and again as Dr. Hudson said did it ever occur to you that nothing has ever occurred to God there's never been an uh with God God knew what was going to take place and happen in our life years ago and what would have happened even yesterday and the day before that and the day before that I learned again in scripture that that word continue is a military term and that word continue means to, again, obey the last order until you hear the next command. Until you hear the next command, you're to keep obeying the last command that was given 
You continue on, soldier. You continue on, servant of God. You continue on living for the Lord and serving Him. And my dear friend, over and over and over, we find again in Scripture, and this again is what uh, Paul and what Barnabas had said to uh, the people that they were seeking to uh, uh, to help them, uh, to confirm them in the faith, that they would to exhort them to continue in the faith. Keep serving God. Keep living for the Lord. Um, again, God's never failed you. God never ever will fail you as well. We find again in Acts chapter 13 and verse 43, the Bible says, And Paul and Barnabas uh, uh, again, uh, um, uh, again persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23, the Bible says, Continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 2, the Bible says to continue, to continue, continue in prayer and to watch in the same with thanksgiving. You know what the other option is? There is no other option, my friend. There is no, okay, the other option, if you don't continue, is to look at the, those that have become shipwrecked And all along the pathway, you find individuals who have had heartaches and heartbreaks and problems, but yet they didn't turn to the Lord. They didn't trust in God. They didn't depend upon Him. They did not go to His Word daily. They did not uh, uh, yield to the Holy Spirit in their life. And so what happened? Well, they become shipwrecked. Uh, and they and they they swerved and they turned aside unto vain jangling. The Bible tells us. And my dear friend, that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to continue on. Uh, the Bible tells us that the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, "Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them." He said. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, the Bible says, "But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of." knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So God has been very good. Again, all throughout these years. In 2015, Heather would go in to have another surgery. We had researched and looked and looked and researched. And we, the doctors had told us in 96, Heather could never have another surgery again, another brain surgery, because her speech was on the left side of her brain. I'll never forget, honey. May I show? Can I have that little model if I can? I never forget that the doctor had said. By the way, every doctor that we had seen, except for one doctor, believed that her speech was still on the left side of her brain. This is a model of a brain about the way by the way they say it's about the normal size of a brain our brain weighs about 3.3 pounds is all this would be the front this is the back this would be the left hemisphere and this is the right hemisphere the left temporal lobe is on this side the occipital lobe is in the very back the parietal is toward the middle and the frontal lobe is toward the front in the middle between the two again hemispheres is what's called the corpus callosum. That is what connects this little area right in the middle. It's kind of a C-shaped, upside-down C. That's the corpus callosum. That's what connects the two hemispheres together. One doctor, Dr. Basil Khalil, believed that Heather's speech had moved from the left side to the right. The neuropsych doctors didn't believe that. 
Um, the neurovascular surgeons didn't believe that. The neurosurgeons did not believe that. The other neurologists didn't believe that. And so they decided they were going to do one more test to see if Heather was a candidate. They said that we could try to see if she could possibly have this surgery again. And this surgery was what was called a water, water test. And it was in an operating room. But, uh, but again, Heather, they went through the, the test and they came back with the news and report that Heather had, um, had failed the test. Just before we went that morning to the hospital, I said this this morning in Sunday school, as we were journeying along our way, our house is about 145 miles away from Vanderbilt. We were pretty down, and, and to be very honest with you, we were pretty discouraged. We didn't know again what was going to happen. This was the last straw for our daughter. And so there in 2014, as we traveled again, none of us were saying anything. None of us were talking to each other. And uh, we were probably about 100 miles away from the hospital or so, and about an hour and a half away, hour and 40 minutes. And Heather began to sing a Bible verse. And she began to sing this verse, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. She sang it again, Let the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. At that time, we're all supposed to join in. And we hadn't joined in yet. And she said, sing, Dad, Mom, Hannah. Our youngest daughter was still living with us before she got married. And and so we began to sing. I wasn't real happy about singing, but we began to sing. And and then I began to get convicted as I was thinking about the meditation of my heart being acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. After we finished singing that, Heather said, Okay, Dad, your turn. And so at that time, I'm supposed to pick a verse. And, and so I picked, of all things, Romans 8, 28. And began to sing, And we know all things work together for good. To them that love the Lord. And we know all things work together for good. To them that love the Lord. And we know. Yes, we know. And so we began to sing all of us together. And then I said, Mom. And Mom picked another verse. And and, uh, and then our daughter Hannah picked another verse that we all knew and had a tune to it. And uh, that we had heard and we would put a tune to it as well. And, and, uh, and over the next hour and a half, we traveled and got to Vanderbilt Hospital. My dear friend, let me, let me say to you that it took us, again, about another hour and a half. But we sang well over a hundred verses of Scripture, at least, on the way there. And by the time we got to the hospital, my dear friend, our hearts were so encouraged. I said this morning, we could have ch- we could have charged hell with a squirt gun. And again, I'll tell you, that's what God's Word will do in your life. We need God's Word every single day. The tunes... Putting together to a verse helps you with memorization. And we put, uh, let's you in again to John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Sing with me, Heather. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, 
that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And so verses of Scripture, just a tune or a tune that you've heard somebody else put together. We need God's Word in our heart. And that's what the psalmist said, that we might not sin against God. Are you hearing me? When we think about sin, we think again about somebody going, doing what your preacher talked about this morning, going and drinking a Coca-Cola in the bar. And... Uh, <laughs> but anyway, he didn't realize where he was. You remember that one? And uh, But he didn't realize. We didn't find out how long he stayed. But anyway, and then how do you like him pulling me in that? Did you hear what he's, but, he, but, but anyway, um, so those songs will do you good as the old preacher said and help you too. Those verses will will challenge you and will stir you as well. I, I think again about Philippians in chapter 4. I want you to turn there. Would you do that? Go to Philippians chapter number 4. In Philippians chapter number 4, I'm trying to hurry. But in Philippians 4, I love the chapter, Heather's favorite verse. and It's Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. My wife and I... We, we sought to, again, in our girls' life through the years, to put in them when they were much younger. And now as she's an adult, of course, and has been for many years as well, she's lived out, again, what we, we taught years ago. Here in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 6 and 7, is a little tune we put to this. Uh, it went like this. It, it sounds like there's another tune that you may remember. But it goes like this, and y'all help me sing it. You ready? Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Do it again. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. With thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. My dear friend, God's word does change life. Jesus said, man can live, cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth, which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And God wants us to take his word and hide it in our heart every single day. We need to be ready and prepared for when the hour comes and when the day comes, again, for your heartache or your problem to arise. Because, my friend, it's coming difficulties are coming it may be right around the corner but problems will arise until we get out of this life i like some of those old songs used to be an old red book and uh in in old uh some of those old songs talk about it most of them talk about heaven some of them are not too scriptural i realize that and uh but some of them songs when we all get to heaven um, and going, going to heaven and, and we'll soon be done with troubles and trials in that land just on the other side. But until that time, my friend, there are going to be problems we're going to have. And so they said, 
there in 2014 that uh, we believe her speech is still on the left side. Dr. Khalil said, we're going to try one more time. And we said, Dr. Khalil, my wife and I have discussed this. And Dr. Khalil, you're from Lebanon. You have such a distinct accent. Everybody else is there. Heather's awake during this procedure. Would you be in that operating room when they do that procedure? She'll recognize your voice. Everybody's in their scrubs. She cannot see their faces. And he said, yes, I will. And so then, uh, so one more request we grant, and we like to ask if one of us could be in the operating room. And, uh, and he said, that would be a hard one to do, but I believe that possibly that's, that's, that's possible. So sure enough, he got special permission from all of the attendants and the physicians that were in the, in the surgery room. And my wife said, you're going, I'm not going, I'll pass out. And, uh, and so it was the funniest thing in the world that took place and happened that day. They couldn't find a pair of scrubs that fit me. They brought in a section that was a skinny, talking about skinny jeans, my friend. And uh, that was a skin, there was no way I couldn't get both sides in one leg, much less both legs in, in both legs. And, and, uh, and I said, you're kidding me. And they said, we're sorry, that's disgusting. And don't even try it. And we're going to go get you another pair. They went and got a brand new pair, and this one was this big, my friend. It was this big. It was hilarious. And they brought it. I wrapped it around. I'm not kidding. My wife took the, the, that, uh, that tie, wrapped it around me several times. It was up about right here, and, uh, and the shirt was hanging out. It wasn't tucked in, and, and uh, they put a hat on me and mask and gloves and everything when I went in. And Heather's laying on that operating table. There's neurovascular surgeons that are... Beside her, about to perform the procedure, Dr. Khalil is standing beside them. Two nurses at Heather's head. There are radi- radiology techs that are there, and there are EEG techs that are there. I counted 12 people, and then here I come. Heather's laying flat on her bag, and they said, you ready? They said, Heather, raise your arms in the air, both arms, as she laid flat on her back. And as she was laying flat on her back, they said, Heather, count to 10. And Heather began to say, one, two, three. About time she got to three, they were just putting the left side of her brain to sleep. Heather dropped her arm. They said, Heather, keep talking. And Heather went, she couldn't keep talking. And uh, I was confused about it. And Dr. Khalil looked up at, the, uh, uh, there at that large screen and he said to the doctor, don't you think some of that medicine is leaking over to the right side of her brain too? He said, can't you do something uh, again about to putting a stent up in there so it wouldn't leak down? And uh, they sent me out of the operating room, running to conference. 30 minutes later, they called me back in. They said, Mr. Capey, if you'll grant this, there's a lot more risk to this. But if you'll grant it, this is the only thing, this is the last thing that they can do. And so sure enough, I said, yes, and uh, we agreed to do that since this is the last thing. And we allowed that to happen, and, and, and they, they said, we'll call you right back in. We get everything ready again. They called me back in. Heather already had her arms raised into the air. And, uh, and so they said, Heather, begin to call out, again, count to ten. And Heather went, one, two, three. They said, Heather, keep counting. Her, at three, her arm, her right arm fell. But Heather kept counting, four, five, six, 
7. You see, they were putting her left side of her brain to sleep fully. That stent was placed on up in there that they could put it to sleep. Her right arm failed to show that, but she was able to keep talking. And uh, Dr. Khalil standing beside me in his Lebanese accent threw his fist in the air. And he said, yes, yes, yes. And I said, did they put the right side to sleep? And he said, no, what right side, what right side? He said, left side. And he said, come here, come here. And, and he called me to the back. And, and he said, this is what we did. We agreed to. You remember we agreed. And he talks like that. And, and I had been confused about everything that was going on. Finally, I understood. Dr. Froler said, Dr. Khalil, can we close her up? And, and, and Dr. Khalil said, yes, please close her up. I heard the nurses asking Heather, Heather, what is this? And they held up a little matchbox car, and she said, it's a car. She was able to recognize and understand it, comprehend what it was. They said, Heather, what is this? And she said, those are a set of keys. And she was able to understand, see it, and understand it. That's what they wanted to know. And then uh, one of the nurses spoke up, and as the doctor's still talking to me, one of the nurses said, Heather, we know you sing. Heather, would you sing us a song? About 12 people in there and Heather began to sing. God never moves without purpose or plan in trying a servant or molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord for his testing is long. In darkness he giveth a song. I listened in as Dr. Khalil is talking to me and everybody else is completely quiet as my daughter lying there on that operating table singing to the praise and glory and honor to our God. You see, my dear friend, that test would prove that Heather's speech that one time was left-sided did move to the right side of her brain somehow or another. I don't know if that took place several years. I don't know if it took place and happened that very moment or that hour. But I'll tell you, again folks that our God is a great God the doctors couldn't understand it but my God can do anything 2015 she did have the surgery they thought they removed everything at least they removed more they thought they'd completely disconnected it all they removed again most of the most all of that corpus callosum, except for a little tiny piece, only about, they said, about a half an inch. They believed possibly that that was where she had seizures still going over. Again, it was debilitating. My dear friend, I'm talking about interrupting our life over and over and over and over. But God knew. God knew along the way there'd be people that would reach just out soaring door to door in neighborhoods that was low income, upper middle class, the largest of homes. By the way, let me say this to you. Again, everybody has problems. Those who have and live in some of the nicest homes, they may not have the ramp out front. They have enough money they can hide the ramp around back, but they've still got the same problems that others don't have quite as much have. Everybody listening? I'm telling you, they have similar problems. They can just kind of hide it a little bit more. Just kind of hide it some. So in 2015, we thought, my friend, that they had removed everything. But they didn't. They told us they had completely disconnected, but it didn't. Her seizures came back. And they kept getting worse and worse. 
And finally, in December of this past year, they went in and they removed, literally, the rest of what remained on the left side of her brain. The only thing that remains on her in her brain today is her right hemisphere. That's all. You heard her singing today to the praise and glory of our God. My wife said, honey, just a, just a few weeks ago, she said, honey, she said, Heather has been witnessing to every nurse that's coming to her room here at Vanderbilt again today. And uh, she said she won't stop. She said uh, they're, they're very polite, and, and they'll say, Heather, uh, is there anything we can do for you? Is there anything we can get you? And she said, yeah, I'd like to ask you one more question. If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Or can I tell you, all throughout the years, Heather has shared the gospel with others. My wife has done the same thing. I believe today that my daughter has a kind of spirit that she has such a loving spirit, such a soft spirit, such a gentle spirit because of the the very love and devotion of her best friend, my dear precious wife. I would not have been able to serve God the way I have been these last 24 years at the Hillside Baptist Church the year prior as an assistant pastor and three and a half years prior to that again in Rome Georgia as a pastor there had it not been for the faithfulness of my precious wife you see all of us experience problems and all of us experience difficulties and trials but just like Peter when the Lord said to Peter as well as the other apostles and there in John chapter 6 when after they heard the words of Jesus and many of them been following him for quite some time and Jesus said to those disciples and apostles, will you also go away? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Thou art the Christ. The Son of the living God. And it's not just for salvation, my friend. And it's not just so we could go to heaven. But it's so we can live that eternal life even down here on this earth. And let the people who do not know that there's a God who's real and alive and great and, and is almighty and powerful that can do anything, can take again a, just a small vessel of clay and use that small vessel of clay for His glory. He wants to use you. He's using you. But my dear friend, the last thing in the world you need to do is to quit and to stop and to give up and to give in. Dad, again, you may get frustrated at times with your junior age child and he didn't come back home with any of his underwear this time. And when he went to junior camp, I just went past the room and they're over there, Brother Hamilton said. And, and, uh, and, and you may get frustrated again with, uh, with again that uh, teenage boy who, it doesn't click at times. But you keep loving him. You keep loving him. You keep taking time with him. You keep trying to um, instill in him the truths of the word of God. My dear friend, there's going to come a time in that young man's life, in that young lady's life. Preacher said it this morning. You're about to face some things. And when you get in the real world or real ministry, some have already bore it uh, and have real burdens and problems in their youth. But, but as you get older, more problems arise and more difficulties come. But God has brought us through some things to, again, assist us and help us. My dear friend, what should we do? According to the scripture, we're to continue. We're to keep going. We're to keep making a difference in people's lives. You say, preacher, when? I'm telling you, you continue right now, this moment, this hour, this night. Continue giving your all and your best to him. Here. 
Continue here. Continue in your local New Testament church, in your Sunday school class, on your bus route. In all of the individuals for whom God has allowed you to reach and those who you will reach in the future. Again, Jesus said, for how long? And Well, the Lord said, well, you occupy until I come. You keep doing it. You keep going forward for me. And uh, you keep serving him. You say, but preacher, how can I do that? Well, it's simply by the marvelous grace of God. So again, in 2021, in December, that took place and happened in April of this year. Heather Shunt, that they had put in in 2000, I'm sorry, in 1996, would fail. That shunt that she'd had all those many years would fail. And they'd have to go in an emergency surgery and remove it. They took that, that uh, shunt out. They put in the EVD, an external ventricle drain. And over the next few weeks, she would have that tube coming out. Then she would develop an abscess into her abdomen because of the proteins of that surgery that happened in December. And they'd have to remove the tubing that went into the abdomen. Then they had to treat it with, again, very strong antibiotics. Four different antibiotics intravenously, 24 hours a day for three weeks. It caused her to have seizures. The medicine caused her right side to seize. And though what was on the left side, it had stopped. It was gone. No more seizures. Again, they took her off of that. And again, they then decided because of the abscess, now they're going to go on the right side. This was in May And when they went in in May, they tapped and hit her intestine and perforated her intestine. She now had a perforated intestine, and so they stopped everything. They pulled the the tubing out again. They pulled the shunt back out, and she went back to an EVD again. They kept treating her, kept treating her with many problems and multiple problems. But people were watching us and listening to us. And may I say this to you, praise God. For Sarah, the nurse who accepted Christ as Savior at 4 o'clock in the morning, and said, boy, she sure has gone through a lot, hasn't she? And I said, but Sarah, I said, she's gone through a lot, and God's given her the grace, and you see her spirit and how she's able to handle things. I said, but we firmly believe that God has a purpose and plan, so again, somebody else can be told about the Savior. And Sarah would get saved. Again, very shortly thereafter, a, uh, again, a, uh, a doctor that was um, a resident doctor, Heather, would lead to Christ there over the last few weeks as well. And many, many people have been witness to. Again, through that, trying to treat that, they then went in and tried to put the tubing now into the atrial. Found out her heart was too strong. They would then, just a couple of weeks later, have to do an emergency surgery, take the shunt back out, take the tubing out, and uh, go back to another EVD, an external ventricle drain. Again, after that, several weeks of that, they went back in another emergency surgery, and they put it back in again, this time back into another part of the abdomen. My dear friend, we ask and we, we, we ask that you'll continue to pray not only for her but also for my little precious wife and, uh, and, and for myself as well that God has used, again, our lives and our living to be able to help other people. We have multiple people in our church today that have seizures, have epilepsy. It's not a rare occasion for someone to have a seizure in the middle of a service. As a matter of fact, some people say, Preacher, your preaching causes seizures, and, and uh, we're beginning to think that. Yes, 
You could tell the gospel preaching church when it has every walk of life coming in. Every walk of life. Whether they can walk or not. Whether they're wheelchair bound or not. But they know that somebody here loves them and somebody here cares for them. How many times, again, problems, we've had people that coded on us at church, but they came because they knew there's somebody at that place understood them and somebody there loved them. All they want is somebody just to care about them. All, that's all anybody really wants. Do you really love me? May I also say this to you. We've got it wrong if we think again. And, and by the way, how many times we've heard this throughout the years. I want to find a place, a church that has no drama in it whatsoever. I already have too much drama in my life outside the church. When I come in, I don't want it to be in the church. Well, I understand what they're meaning by drama. But in some situations, they don't want anybody to have any kind of problems. Well, my dear friend, they better not come. Because they have problems just like everybody else. And the church house is the greatest, again, spiritual hospital any place could, anybody could ever go to. And again, you'll be welcoming. Welcome them in and allow them to come in and to teach them about our Savior and love on them and let them know what a great God we have, a God who loves us and cares about us. Our daughter can sing the things that she sings and does the things that she does, not just because of what was placed in her as a little girl, but also because she saw that her mom and daddy has continued to be faithful serving the Lord throughout the years. And if her mom and daddy can continue to be faithful serving the Lord, she can too. She can too. It's not time to quit. It's not time to change. It's not time to back up. It's not time to jump ship and to think again that it's better on the other side and on the other places. They have no other problems and the grass is greener on the other side. But my dear friend, that's not time. Christ is coming again very, very soon. And it really will be worth it all when we see him. It really will. Be faithful. Be faithful unto him. Would you do that? Would you bow your head and close your eyes?